You know, every week I do a, um, a very intentionally, I, I do a recap of the previous week's message to kind of help tie things together. And for whatever reason, this week God did not have me do that. Now I know why. Thank you, Mickey. I think you did a, a much better job than, than I would have done. And also, Carrie, uh, just like he was saying a minute ago, God knew what he was doing, you know. Uh, so so here's, here's what we're going to do today. I want to I start with just kind of having a little bit of a dialogue. Because um, I want to share something about, about me, and you may find something in common. There's something that, that I find very difficult often, and that is starting something new. Um, it could be a project uh, at the house. It could be a bid that I'm working on at work. Uh, yesterday, for instance, it was this sermon. Um, and it wasn't, it's not the work that I struggle with often. It's, it's where to start. For example, uh, in my job, you guys know that I, I, I design and I build gas stations. And so if it's something that I've designed, I know how I expect the fuel system to function. And I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty details of that. But if it's something that somebody else has designed, especially if it's using components that I'm not very familiar with, you get these sets of plans and they may be anywhere from 10 to 200 pages long with all these details. And I have to start with wrapping my brain around the details and how this engineer wants this project or wants this system to function properly. Does that make sense? And so I'm trying to take all of this information and cram it into my little bitty brain and make sense of it. And when I'm in that process, I don't even know where to begin. And so I end up procrastinating not well nobody procrastinates intentionally usually it's just a, a result of not knowing where to begin for me it's the organization of the thought uh, with this sermon today uh, we're only going to cover one verse but it, there's a lot there and and it was kind of the same thing I, t I learned a lot this week about this this verse in particular and we'll dig into that in a minute but it was kind of one of those, there's so much good in this I didn't I didn't know where to begin and so uh, I wanted to start this way today. But I've found for, for me the best way to, to get things going is to just pick a spot. It doesn't have to be the right spot, but just pick a spot and start the work. If it's a bid, I'll just pick a page, and I won't get into the details of that, but I'll just start diving in and say, okay, I'm going to start pricing out this stuff. For this sermon today, this is literally how I started yesterday was why am I finding this difficult and just kind of fleshing that out in the moment and writing it down because I, it, we're going to see at the, end of the, at the end of the message today that this is something that all of us do, right? I wanted to share this part of my process because it's going to come into play later. I learned a lot this week. I studied James chapter 5, verse 12, and it was difficult for me to decide what to say first. Uh, in this verse, James is appealing to the church once again about their speech. And James has talked about that a lot through this letter. And today we're going back to that. Uh, as we're going to read this passage in a moment, James, we're going to see, is specifically talking about telling the truth. And I want you to understand the meaning of one word in particular because I've heard this verse preached in different ways, and you probably have too. And, and we're going to see this word swear, all right? In my past, and maybe in yours, I've heard preachers talk about this passage when referring to foul language, um, and that's not what James is talking about, uh, although I'm sure James would agree that, that cussing or cursing, however you say that, is not a good thing to do. That's not what James is talking about, and if we, if we don't understand that, it's going to kind of muddy the waters up. So let's look at this verse together, and then we're going to jump in. James chapter 5, verse 12. So James says, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes mean yes and your no mean no, so that you won't fall under judgment. Okay, so like I said, there's a lot 
in this short verse. And so I was telling the team this morning before we were praying, my hope is that this doesn't come across as a lecture, that it's a sermon. But I'm going to be honest, there's a lot of facts in the first part of this. So just buckle up and hang on. We're going to kind of plow through this. And I put all of these up on the screen today so that you can kind of follow along. There's, there's five things that I want to point out about what James is saying in this verse, okay? First of all, James is not elevating this commandment above all others by saying above all. And I know you're saying to yourself, Will, but it says above all. Like that's kind of a key, like above all. By the way, these slides are available on Faith Life if you, uh, if you want to look at those. Um, James, I've, I've read a lot of commentaries over the course of this week about this verse. And all of them just about agree that James is not saying that this command is above all other commands. In other words, James is not saying that this is the most important of the Big Ten Commandments, right? This is one of them, but James is not saying it's the most important. Most of the commentators, most scholars believe that James is using this phrase in the same way that Paul uses the word finally. If you read Paul's letters towards the end of it, he will make a statement, usually something like finally, and it's kind of like a pastor or a presenter saying in conclusion, right? Uh, this is kind of what James is saying. He's kind of trying to wrap all of this up. We're going to get to the end of this book in the next couple of weeks, or the end of this letter. And so James is kind of saying, okay, finally, my brothers. So this is a phrase to kind of conclude the letter. Second thing I want you to see is that we see again the phrase, my brothers and sisters, which is key. Uh, James is key that he's starting a new thought. We've talked about that a lot, but I wanted to bring that out again. This is the same kind of thing. James is grabbing the attention of the listeners. Y'all may remember when Glenn used to preach all the time, in the middle of his sermon, he would say, are you with me? Say, oh yeah. Right? And the reason he did that is because he can see what I can see now, Tom. Sometimes you're, you're preaching and people's eyes just kind of glaze over because it's warm or you're thinking about lunch or your kid's misbehaving. And This is James saying, hey, let me get your attention. I know I've been long-winded. But just hang in there with me. I'm almost there. Okay. Number three, the word swear means to take an oath. That's all it means. Okay. Look at this. I put a chart up here. I hope, I hope you can read it. It's kind of light. And is that, did that chart show up on your end? There you go. Okay. You can't read the words. That circle, this is a tool that I use out of Logos. And in the middle, it says the word swear. And then it has the Greek word out to the left. Most Greek words you look at, that circle is not one color. It's a whole bunch of color. And what that tool is showing you is what that word can be translated from the original language into English. And it's showing you all the places in the New or Old Testament that that word is used and what it means in those places. And I want you to notice that this word is one color. That means it means an oath, to swear an oath. This is, Paul's not, or James is not talking about foul language. Certainly that's a thing we can talk about, that that's not what James is talking about in here. Okay? The second, or excuse me, the fourth, okay, um, is swearing an oath is not a sin. And that's important for us to understand. We're going to see all through Scripture, we have seen, we will see that God swears oaths and makes promises to his people. That's not the issue that James is addressing. It is okay to make an oath. The sin comes when we break that oath, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. And then the fifth thing is that James is echoing something that Jesus said. In fact, it is the most direct quote in the book of James of Jesus. And we've talked about James as Jesus' brother and the things that he is, is saying to the church or things that he's heard his brother teach. And so today I want us to look at this. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 34 through 37. We're going to just read it and then we're going to compare it. Jesus says, but I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven because it's God's throne or by earth because it's his footstool or by Jerusalem because it's the city of the great king. 
Do not swear by your head because you cannot make a single hair white or black. But let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. Okay, so I want you to look at these two verses next to each other. This is another cool tool from Lagos, okay? So you got Matthew on the left and James on the right. Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem. Let your yes be yes, your no be no, or you will be condemned. Do you see how closely related those two are? So James is preaching something that Jesus was preaching. He's saying specifically to the church, he's talking about their integrity, about what they say. I titled today's message, Your Word, because your word is important. Now, what we don't know is what's going on in the church specifically that makes James bring this up. We've talked about before that there is quarreling that James calls war. He uses that word very intentionally. That there is something going on in the church that is causing James to need to say this, to repeat exactly what Jesus is saying. And while we don't know that context, if we go back and we look at the context of what Jesus is saying and we look at Jewish culture, we can kind of, we can extrapolate some things. Let's look at that together. Jesus' Jesus's address whenever he is, is preaching this, is during the Sermon on the Mount in which he is explaining the purpose and the meaning of the law. If you go back and look at the Sermon on the Mount, it, it's out of uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus is redefining for his listeners what it means to be God's people. This is the, the passage that starts with the Beatitudes, right? We're familiar with that. And so Jesus takes up three whole chapters, which he wasn't preaching as if it was chapters. Jesus is just preaching, but he is redefining for the people what it means to be the people of God. We've talked about before how the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes had contorted the law for the purposes of their own control. But also, it was, I think, out of good intention of, if this is one of God's commandments, well, let's also implement, uh, implement all these other laws so that we can't get to this place, right? It's like in the Baptist church, we joke about how you're not allowed to dance. Well, that's not in scripture, but that's somebody's well-intentioned way of keeping you from falling into other sin and temptation by, not, by, by excluding that activity, right? We're not going to find that in scripture, but its intent was good. And that's the same thing that we see here with the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus' instruction is not to swear an oath or in the middle of this great redefining sermon. In this massive sermon that's completely changing the listener's idea of what it means to be a follower of God, to know God. Jesus takes the time to address what we say, how we say it, and why we say it. If you look at some of the Jewish writings from that time period, you're going to find this document called the Mishnah. Okay, The Mishnah, this is out of one of my commentaries, was a complete tracate on oaths, dividing them into classes, giving examples of valid and invalid oaths, and another tracate on vows, which is also relevant. So this Mishnah is a Jewish collection of traditions and written works. It's a foundational document in the Jewish religion. It includes the earliest data available about early rabbinic Judaism, and this Mishnah also illustrates rabbinic ideas relevant to the study of Judaism in Jesus' life. Okay, so we've got this, this work that dates back to Jesus' life, and if we look back at that work, we're going to see over 200 rules and regulations just about oaths, and then there's some more about vows, which are also applicable to what we're talking about today. Like the religious leaders did with so many other things, they way overcomplicated the law, right? 
they put together this document and had a whole section that gave all these different variations of oaths and vows so that they could define which ones were valid and to what degree. Okay, and I want you to think about that for a moment. They defined these 200 ways in which oaths were valid or invalid. What is an oath? Let's look it up. A solemn promise, usually invoking a divine witness regarding your future acts or behavior, often including penalties for failure within the context of the oath. So they, they, they defined what made an oath valid or invalid, which means there was a practice of making an oath with no intention of keeping it in order for them to have to validate whether it was real or not. This document defined which promises were valid based on the specific words that were used within the oath. In other words, depending on who or what you swore the oath by determined its validity. This is why Jesus is saying, don't swear by heaven or by the earth or by your own head. Because in in their understanding, if you swore an oath by God, it was understood that you had to fulfill that commitment. And so what people would do, and we see people do similar things like this before, is instead of swearing by God, they would swear by Jerusalem. And then when someone came to them and said, hey, you made this oath, you need to fulfill your commitment, they'd be like, oh, well, it's not valid because I didn't swear it by God. You see what they're doing? This allowed them to come back after the fact and default on the oath. And in his sermon, Jesus is calling this out. He's saying that if you say something, that should be your oath. In other words, live to such a degree of integrity that when you say something, there's no need for an oath. This is what Jesus means in Matthew chapter 5, 37, where he says, But let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. And James is echoing that in verse 12. He says, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no mean no so that you won't fall under judgment. Jesus is saying you shouldn't have to put some other words behind the ones you just said to make people believe you. I want to share a story of my own, and I hope that you're okay with me being a little honest and vulnerable with you this morning, but this is something that I have struggled with my whole life. I, I've had a lot of whoopings in my life. Everybody know what a whooping is? Raise your hand if you know what a whooping is. Okay, there was a post on my parents' back porch. It's not there anymore, or it might have PST, PTSD, but there was a post on my parents' back porch, and, and regularly I got a spanking for lying, a lot of spankings for lying. I'm good at giving spankings because I've had a lot of them. I've always struggled with this. And, and I felt like I had a pretty good handle on it. And then I started dating Bethany. And um, in our relationship, there was constantly, in the beginning especially, there was always this frustration because I would say that I was going to do something and then I wouldn't do it. And I had a number of reasons, and they were usually very good reasons. And she was always frustrated with, frustrated with me, and I couldn't understand why. Because when I said I would do it, my intention really was that I would do it. But as soon as something else came up, it, for me, it kind of invalidated that prior commitment because of this new data, right? But for her, which she was correct, by the way, if I said I was going to do something, I should do it. In the circles that I grew up in, the intention was always, I'm going to do this if everything works out properly. But we never said that. We just said, yeah, I'll handle it. 
and then you did or you did not. I see some head nods in here. I'm not the only one that's experienced that, okay? So we're talking about one of these things that I had not done one day, and she said, she said Bethany said this to me. She said, you broke a promise that I made to her. And I was like, I very quickly was like, no, 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 no. I didn't make a promise. I just said I would do it. And she's like, she very quickly said to me, that should be the same thing. I had never thought about that before. Because in my mind, we culturally say, I promise you that I will do that. That carries much heavier weight than just I will do that, right? Or you pinky promise on something, or you do the spit handshake, anybody do that? We always would try to validate what we were saying in certain circumstances to, to make sure that that commitment was understood on both sides. What Jesus is saying is we should not have to validate what we're saying with a pinky promise. What we say should be enough. In fact, this is part of the reason that the Mishnah was written at the beginning. It was understood that if you invoke God's name in an oath, you had to keep it. So to get around that and to still appear committed and to still appear honest, they would make these oaths to other things to make that, those words carry more weight. And, and as you think about that, think about how devastating it must be that you have to add things to the end of your words to validate what you just said. This is what Jesus, this is what James is addressing. As we've discussed in various ways during this study, what we do and what we say represents who God is to the world. Our words and our actions tell the world of who God is. One of the commentaries I was reading yesterday spoke to this directly. He says, above all our stress, we should not resort to flippant oaths that communicate something about God that, to the world that we do not intend. Are you feeling this the way I'm feeling this? When we make flippant promises to someone just to satisfy the moment, we are telling a lie. Not only about ourselves, but more importantly, we're telling a lie about God. Because we're, if I call myself a follower of Christ, that, that I am living by His example, and my actions communicate something other than that, I am lying to the world about who God is. Another person that I read this week says this. He says, when we speak the truth, we speak, we speak Christ's language. When we speak lies, we speak Satan's language. Man, that's powerful. That's harsh to hear, but it's true. I never thought about it this way until I read this quote this week. God is truth, and Satan always twists the truth to his own ends. If we call ourselves believers and then we, we twist the truth to our benefit, we are literally speaking language, Satan's language, about who God is. We are joining Satan in that work. And I'm not saying that this is always intentional. I think a lot of times we do this unintentionally. For example, when Bethany and I were working through this, when I tried to explain that my intentions were pure, it didn't matter. No one cares what your intentions are. They care about what your action is, right? They care what you actually do. Another commentary said, the point of all this is that by their hair-splitting differences, the Jews could not escape between this form of oath or vow and that. 
God is present in all his creation. The important thing Jesus is saying is to tell the truth and keep one's pledges without insisting that a certain form of words must be used if it is to be binding. No oath is necessary for a truthful person. This is who Jesus is calling us to be. If we're going to be people of true faith, we have to be a people who yes means yes and their no means no. We are to be people who speak the truth. Let me give you some historical and a modern day example of both of these things. There was this guy, Josephus. He was a, um, a history writer back just after Jesus' uh, death. So Josephus says this of this group, the Essenes. He said, any word of theirs was more, or excuse me, any word of theirs has more force than an oath, swearing they avoid regarding it as worse than perjury. For they say that one who is not believed without an appeal to God stands condemned already. The Essenes, if you don't know who that is, they were another sect of the Jewish religion. We talk often about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, but the Essenes were kind of of that same level, okay? The Essenes, by the way, are the ones who wrote and hid all of the scrolls at the Dead Sea that we discovered thousands of years later that verified the Old Testament. That's those people, okay? That's another story for another day, but if you're interested in digging into that, I can give you some info, okay? But man, what a reputation to have. A reputation that if you're talking to an Essene, whatever they're telling you, write it down. That's the truth. That their word carries more weight than even an oath. We see oaths happen all the time today, right? You see them when you go to a courtroom. Before you give testimony, you put your hand on the Bible and you raise your right hand or the other way around. I don't remember. I've never done it. But anyway, you swear an oath, right? Or we see politicians do it before they take office. They swear an oath. Unfortunately, I don't think that oath carries the weight that it should a lot of times. Because even though people are doing it, their intention is they're going to really just do whatever they want or say whatever they want at the end. And I want us to consider for a moment what that means about the world and our culture if our most sacred form of commitment means little more than a formal ceremony. It's just a thing that we do. Also consider for a moment what it would mean for you personally and for us as a body if we became known in the same regard as the Essenes. That if what people said about you personally or about the Gathering Place churches is that if they are saying it, you know that it's true. There's no doubt. There's no need to question. If they say they're going to do a thing, they're going to do a thing. Imagine what that would do for our body if we say collectively that we want to abide in Christ. We say collectively that we want to hear God's voice and do what He says. But I know and you know that we often fail at that. If we could live that way, if we could live with that level of integrity, it would change our lives. And it would change the lives of the people around us. I'll tell you what it's done for me. I've talked about this guy before, but I don't know that I've ever said his name here. But I work with a guy named Junior Smith. Junior runs the installation department at Petron. He and I work very closely together. We both bid similar types of projects. And our jobs differ in that Junior is over all of the employees that work in the installation department, whereas I don't have any employees that work under me, which is fantastic, by the way. Okay? But we both bid jobs, and so we have to work very closely together because when I win a bid, I bring that bid to Junior, and he staffs it, and I manage the project. And so it is important for me as I'm managing a project that's worth a couple of million dollars that I know that when Junior says guys are going to be there, the guys are going to be there. And guess what? I never have to question 
that what he says is going to happen actually happens. Ever. And so in that area of my life that is often very stressful for project managers, I have zero stress. Because Junior has proven himself to be the kind of guy that's going to do what he says he's going to do. And it is such a blessing for me. And you may be thinking to yourself, boy, I wish I worked with people like that. And I would say that Jesus and James are challenging you to be that person for someone else. Because when we become that kind of people, it creates a new kind of culture. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you've never worked with somebody like that, the first time that you do, it changes your understanding of what it means to be in a partnership. It changes your understanding of what it means to really be able to trust someone. You and I have the opportunity to be that kind of person for the people in our lives. By doing so, we begin to build that culture that I'm talking about. And that culture no longer becomes the exception, but it becomes the rule, right? I can tell you within my department at Petron that the expectation is that people are going to do the things that say they're going to do. And that's not true of all companies, but it is of ours. And it's that way because the leadership above Junior is the same way. And they've created a culture where the expectation is if you say you're going to do it, you do it. End of story. I began to telling you today that sometimes I have trouble starting some things. Sometimes I look at something like this and I go, where do I even begin? You may be feeling that right now as you're thinking about what it would mean for you to be that rock in someone else's life. Where and when does a person start a task that big? I want to tell you, you start right here today, right now. Start putting some stuff down on paper. That may be, seem like a, a very daunting task, or perhaps you've, you've already made so many mistakes in your life, you've so, told so many people so many things that you would do that you fell through, that you're like, I, I just can't. I can't start because I'm just not that person. Or these people will never trust me in that way. I want to remind you of a guy named Peter. We know Peter, right? Peter, at the Last Supper, Jesus is telling the disciples, one of you is going to deny me three times. And Peter says, oh, it would never be me. I would die first. Look at this, Matthew chapter 26, verse 74 and 75. Then he started a curse and to swear with an oath, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. So here's this guy, Peter, who Jesus calls the rock, the foundation, who says, Jesus, I would die before I denied you. And then that night he denies him three times and in the last time he swears an oath that he does not know him. And then what happens? We remember the rest of the story. Jesus reappears. Peter has gone back to fishing because he doesn't know what else to do. Jesus calls him in and he restores him. God wants to do the same thing in our lives. I've struggled my whole life with telling the truth. It's gotten a lot better as an adult. But the only way that happens is because of Jesus' restoration. Restoration. If I could stop lying when I was a kid, if whippings would have done it, I wouldn't have had so many. What we all need in our lives is the Holy Spirit making those changes in us. I want you to hear me say today that you are not too far gone for Jesus to change who you are and the way your life goes. Just like everything we talk about, this is not something that we can do in our own power. This is a work of God in our lives. 
This is a part of what it means to have true faith. It is being honest with yourself about where you are and where you want to be. It's about looking at your life right now. This is going to require that you listen to God and implement the changes that He calls you to make. It's about being intentional. Church, God has given me a desire to be the kind of guy that you can count on. God has given me the willpower that I need to make the changes to communicate in the proper way. I'll give you some examples. Yesterday, I took the boy squirrel hunting, and the girls want to go now. That's how we do it. I take the boys, and then I take the girls. Well, last night, we were busy, and so I told the girls we can't go tonight. So Charlie said, well, when can we go? I said, we'll go tomorrow afternoon. And in the past, I would have left it at that. But there are things about Sunday afternoons or any afternoon that we don't know. Number one, being the weather. And so I qualified that statement with Charlie. And I said, we're going to go squirrel hunting tomorrow if the wind is not blowing too hard. Because if the wind's blowing too hard, you can't see the squirrels in the trees. Another practical example of God doing this work in my life is me using the calendar on my phone. And I know that seems like a dumb, simple thing. But one of my pitfalls is I want to be a yes guy. If you ask me if I can help you do something, yes. And for the majority of my life, I gave everyone a yes. And what that often meant is that I double booked myself and I let somebody down regularly. Ben and I were joking about this this morning. He's like, hey, you and I have a project to do. And I was like, yes, we do. And he's like, let's put it on the calendar. I was like, okay, we'll do that. And I went to walk off. And I was like, wait, hold on. And we haven't done it yet, just to clarify, but we will. Because I know, and you guys have heard me say this before, if I don't put it on my calendar, it will not happen. But that's a change that the Holy Spirit made in me. I didn't just decide one day, I'm going to be a calendar guy. I'll tell you, a big part of that was working for Aaron Slater. Mickey's going to know exactly what I'm talking about, okay? But I had to learn some things. But God had to put that desire in me. And unfortunately for me, it took a whole lot of whoopings. It took a whole lot of embarrassment. And I'm hoping it doesn't take that for you. But what I didn't know as a child, and what I didn't learn until I was an adult, that there's a spirit that lives in me that is more than capable of making those changes. But it's not a thumb memorization thing. It's a heart thing. That's what has to change in us, is our hearts. My desires have to be changed. I need to be motivated not by embarrassment. I need to be motivated by God, who wants to love the world through me. That's my motivation. That's our motivation. We can do this. God can do it through us, but it's going to require intentional action on our parts. It's not that we're assisting the Holy Spirit. It's that we are intentionally asking God the questions and then intentionally doing what He says. I know that all of us have room to improve, but I also know that all of us want to be the kind of people that others can rely on. Here and now is where we start. This morning, David made the comment that he wasn't sure how today's music, he said, Will told me what the sermon was going to be about, but the music doesn't have anything to do with that. Sorry, but you're wrong. Love you. We started off this morning with the song, The Battle Belongs to the Lord. And where am I going to fight? Is it in calendaring? Is it in learning how to use Outlook? No. Battle belongs to the Lord. I'm going to start on my knees with my hands lifted high. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do this work in me. There's going to be some practical things that He asked me to do in order to orient my life. And church, those are things that I struggle with. Your struggle is probably completely different than mine. 
But today, now is the time for us to figure out what that is. So I'm going to ask David to come on up. He's going to play. That's what I was whispering in his ear about a while ago because I didn't ask him about this in advance. But today, right now, all of us have a moment to talk with Jesus and ask him to work in us to create the kind of truth and honesty that he desires for us to have. To begin to live with the integrity that he's calling us to have. And church, this is, this is not a time to make frivolous oaths. I know this might feel like an old school altar call. i got the guy coming up. We're going to play the piano and we're all going to make these commitments to Jesus and then we're going to leave and in about three days we've forgotten what we said. This is not one of those. This is not a time for, for us to just decide we're going to make a change and how we're going to do it. This is a time for us to, to admit to God that we can't do it. That we've gotten to the place in our lives where we are in our own power and that's not enough anymore. This is a time for us to ask the Holy Spirit to do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. This morning I want us to take a few moments and I want us to pray personally in our own minds right now. And let's have a conversation with God. You know where you are. You know where your struggles are. I do not. And I don't care to know. But the Holy Spirit does. And so this morning, I'm going I'm to give us a time. That's why David's up here playing to time to take the awkward away. I want you to just close your eyes and bow your heads and have a conversation with God. And then I'll close this up. Let's pray. Jesus, all of us find ourselves in very different places this morning. But all of us are in need of your power, of your Holy Spirit to change our hearts. God, all of us desire to be people that live with integrity. None of us ever wakes up in the morning and say, I want to be the biggest liar there is today. But God, we also know that we all have sin in us. We all know that we're broken and we're in need of you. Father, I ask that today, in this moment, that you would make the change in our hearts that we all need, whatever that is. Father, I ask that when we walk out of here today, something would be different about us, not because we tried real hard, not because we made a promise, but because you are working in us. And Father, as we go this week, as we begin to live out this new part of the identity that you're giving us as, as followers, as representatives of you, Father, I ask that you would give us the desire and the power to implement the change that you're calling for in our lives. And God, that it wouldn't feel like it's us doing it. God, that it would be obvious that it's you. Father, we are asking for a change in who we are. God, our desire is to be like you, to be known as people whose yes means yes and no means no. Father, as we close in worship today, I ask that you continue to work in our hearts to show us the men and women that you are calling us to be and to make the changes in our hearts that you need to make so that we can be those men and women. Jesus, I ask these things in your name. Amen.